Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. If you would please open up your Bibles now to Matthew chapter six. Uh, Matthew chapter six. We're going to look be looking at verses five through eight today. If you're visiting with us, welcome to River Bible Church. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we got Bibles in the back there for you. That is our gift to you. So feel free to stand up, grab one of those, and take that home. As you turn to Matthew six, let me review. As we've been studying Matthew's gospel here, verse by verse. We really started a sermon series on prayer last Sunday, and we looked at the first part of Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 5, the three words, right? We got to pray, and we focused on how to approach Almighty God in and through prayer. A couple key points here from last week. We said that prayer is communion. Prayer is companionship. It is fellowship with Almighty God. We looked at how God has, has made a gracious and supernatural effort to have a personal relationship with his people. We looked at Adam and Eve. Uh, we looked at, at their son Cain. We also looked at Noah, Abraham, and Moses. Those guys are all examples. We also said key point number two from last week. We said prayer is the activity God has ordained for his children to experience him. Prayer is the activity that God has ordained for his children to experience him. So prayer is not this man-made, superficial, psychological, or, or emotional tool just to make us feel better. And yet it accomplishes nothing. That's not what prayer is. But prayer is not a, it's not a human exercise in futility. Prayer is ordained by God. James 5.16 says this, I love it. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The NASB, the NASB says this, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Another definition that we looked at was uh, prayer is the making of space to commune with God. Prayer is the making of space to commune with God. So prayer is not only a conversation with God, but it's also a commitment from us to God. And then lastly, we talked about what makes prayer a prayer is that God is the one to whom you're speaking. What makes prayer so different what may, from another conversation is that God is the one to whom you are speaking. And we spent the rest of our time kind of fleshing that thought out, didn't we? We looked at quite a few scripture passages. Really, what's revealing, God reveals what's happening behind the scenes in the spiritual world, especially within the throne room of Almighty God as we pray. The prophet Isaiah, we looked at also uh, the apostle John. He, he gave us images so powerful that, that these guys could par barely speak and describe what, what, they, what they saw. 
God, what he did is he removed that spiritual veil from their eyes. Just amazing. So really the biggest takeaway from last Sunday is that we must never forget to whom we are speaking when we pray. We must remember who God is. He is not like us. Scripture says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 22. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of everything and everyone. Scripture says God is the Almighty in Genesis 17. God is the Most High in Genesis 14. When God introduces himself to Moses, he says, he says Moses, I am who I am. In other words, you can't put a label on me. Don't stick me in a box. Scripture says God is the rock in Psalm 42. God is a great and awesome God. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God is the great and powerful God. Jeremiah 32. God is our Savior. Psalm 18. God is a God of glory in Psalm 29. He is also the God of grace. 1 Peter chapter 5. He's the God of peace, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He's also a God of truth, Psalm 31. And this is interesting. God is also our Father in Colossians chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 9, Matthew chapter 5 also say the same thing, that God is a Father. But not just a father, the Apostle Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he's a father of compassion. The psalmist writes in Psalm 68, 5, that God is a father to the fatherless. And there are another 300 titles and descriptions of God found in Scripture. So all that to say, right, God is not a, he's not a cosmic bellhop. He's not on call. God is not an overly spiritual version of Santa Claus, right? God's not our, he's not our buddy. God's not our homie. I saw a t-shirt that said that, God is my homie. Now, Jesus does call us friends in, in John 15, 15. That's another sermon for another day, though. But too often, what's my point, is that we rush into the throne room of God and we're completely ignorant of what we're saying, and, and we're pretty irreverent to the one to whom we're speaking. So I, I pray that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we walked away from last Sunday's service with a, a greater sense of, of adoration and awe when it comes to our, our God. We have been invited by him to come before him boldly, but never arrogantly or flippantly when we pray. So that's a review from last Sunday. So now, now that we know who we're praying to, now that we have this vague idea of the spiritual reality that's happening when we walk into the throne room of God, let's learn how and how not to pray once we get there. Uh, this is a pretty significant part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount because it's so practical. I love this. Jesus says, do this and don't do that. I mean, how easy is that? I love it. It's so clear. So what exactly are we to do and what are we to not to do? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word.
So just as we lifted our voice to sing those songs and those words to Almighty God, I want to invite you now to read this passage with me. Um, the scriptures are on the, on the screens for us. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by the people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. And dear friends, these are the very words from the inerrant, the inspired, and the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 1, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. So Father, we do want to be happy. We want our way to be blameless and righteous. We, we want to walk in your ways. We want to walk according to your instruction. Please guide us and teach us now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. So let's look at verse 5 here. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So Jesus started this section of scripture using the illustration of money several weeks ago. He told his disciples how and how not to give money away. It's a good practical lesson because we, we all need to, to know how to handle our finances. But now Jesus moves into his second illustration of how and how not to pray. Now, let's pause there for a second. Doesn't this seem a little bit odd to you? I, I ask this because it, it seems that the Jews, they should already know how to pray. I mean, after all, they're chosen by God, right? God chose Abraham to father the nation. God chose Jacob to father the 12 tribes. God chose Moses to teach them how to live according to, to his commands. And it seems that they should already know how to pray, but they don't. If they did, Jesus would have used a different illustration. The prayer life of the Jews in the first century that had several problems. For one thing, their prayers had become a ritual. The wording, the tone, the form of the prayers were, were all well-known um, by devout Jews. The problem, though, is that they were simply just read or memorized. So in other words, people were praying without thinking. Their prayers were routine. They were, it's almost like they were semi-conscious. It was this religious exercise with no thought. So let me give you an example. A faithful Jew would repeat the Shema several times a day. The Shema starts... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema was to be prayed every day. Uh, didn't matter where you were, didn't matter what you were doing, didn't matter if you were at home or work or, or anywhere else. 
When the clock struck at, at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m., a devout Jew would pray the Shema. And once again, many prayed those words to the prayer without thinking about what they were actually saying. They, they prayed not because they wanted to commune with God at a deeper level, but it was just they felt it was their duty. They had to do this. So has anything changed today in our prayers? I mean, besides the fact that we're not Jews, most of us. I mean, how often do we pray like that? How, how often do we pray? Well, we get up in the morning, we're running late, we feel obligated to pray, so we give the token prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those and trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And then we bolt. How often do we do that? I'm the only one that does that. Thank you, Jim. Once again, you're the honest guy in the room. So a second problem was the belief that the, the longer the prayer, the better. Ancient rabbis taught that the longer the prayer, the more likely God would hear it. Now, there is no scriptural basis uh, for this belief. It was really brought in through different pagan religions. And then a, a third problem with Jewish prayer in the first century was the repetition of it. It was strangely patterned after pagan religions once again. So uh, Jesus is going to address this repetition issue in verse 7. But in, in verse 5, Jesus says, whenever you pray, whenever you pray. So just as Jesus assumed that his disciples would give money to the poor in verse 1, he assumes that his disciples will also pray. Notice here that Jesus gives a great latitude regarding when to pray. He makes no mention of the Shema or the times when we're to pray. The Apostle Paul, he expands on Jesus' teaching here. He, he writes to the, the church in Ephesus, chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Pray at all times. Time out. All right, how are we supposed to do that? Pray at all times? Well, we pray in the Spirit. Every prayer and request, it's, it's through the Spirit. And we're to stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Paul goes to, to uh, write to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 5, verse 16. He says, rejoice always and pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to be in God's will, pray. So Jesus doesn't prescribe a set time or an occasion to pray. Prayer comes from an inward love from our hearts. It doesn't come from an external mandate forced on us here. Jesus has left the timing to us. Uh, similar to, to how we choose to give our money away. Back to verse 5. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites. So Jesus goes back to the illustration of hypocrites here. Notice how Jesus says this. You, personal pronoun, must not be. Right? This is a non-negotiable. In, in verse 2, we, we, we first learn about hypocrites when Jesus talks about money. We learn that hypocrites, what they do is they wear a mask. 
They, they cover up what's really, really going on in their hearts. Hypocrites, they use outward sin, outward behavior to cover up inward sin in their hearts. So they put on a show to gain everybody's approval. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are not to think, you are not to act, you are not to resemble hypocrites in any way. What's that old saying? You guys know this? Why is it that we try to impress people we don't even like? You ever thought about that? Why do we care so much about what other people think of us? I mean, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, that means you're a child of God. And you are to live out of God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Why? Because of that blood-stained cross. Because of the empty grave. Jesus has made you a new person. You've been adopted into the family of God. You are not who you used to be. So that means you're, you're not a fraud and you're not a fake. You're not like the hypocrites. You're a saint regardless of what you've been told in the past, regardless of what the tape plays in the back of your mind day after day. God says he's the one that determines who you are. So Jesus continues here. He lists the actions of hypocrites in verse 5. He says they love to pray. All right. Well, what's wrong with loving to pray? I think that's pretty good. Well, we have to define what love is. Hypocrites are in love with the wrong activity. Hypocrites are also in love with the wrong person. They love themselves. Uh, Jesus doesn't use that word agapao, agape love here, uh, for unconditional love. He uses phileo, which is brotherly love. In this context, it's also a love for activities. Back to verse 5, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues. So there's nothing wrong with praying in the synagogue or even on the street, but, I mean, Jesus and the apostles, they did both. Um, Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer here, but he is forbidding this egotistical display of, of public prayer. The, the problem is when you enjoy all the attention that you're getting from it, when you love the applause. People see others praying like this, and they think to themselves, wow, that's a good man. What a good prayer He's such a good prayer. What a godly man. What a godly woman. But Jesus is saying, time out. If he's bringing this upon himself for, as a show, then he's a hypocrite. Now, this type of showy prayer was happening back in the synagogues back then, just as it is in our churches today. I, it's hard for us to, to realize that, to connect with that. Um, there's a lot of ways people prayed to be noticed in the church. Have you noticed that some people get preachy when they pray? Because they, they want to show you how theological sound they are. They want to show you how smart they are, right? We, so let me give you an example. We got brother so-and-so over. He's over here and he's, he, he's praying, he's praying, and all of a sudden he starts to preach. And then he starts to preach about the hypostatic union of God. Sounds very impressive. And he says, amen. And everybody else is like, Yeah. Hey, thanks, brother. We appreciate you praying for all the children in the nursery. Like, they needed to know about the hypostatic union of God at two years old. What about 
asking someone else to bless the food. They pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray some more, and they won't stop praying. What are the rest of us thinking as this guy's praying for world peace? Hey, man, the food's getting cold. <laughs> Wrap it up, man. The, the, the longer, these longer, these more specific prayers, guys, these are for your quiet time. This is for you and the Lord. Uh, more on that here in a minute. <laughs> what about those people who, who pray in church and, and for some odd reason they turn into a completely different person? So we've got brother so-and-so, he's a quiet man, he's a humble man, he's a godly man. We know him as a man of faith. He's a servant, everybody in the church loves him. But for some bizarre reason, it's like when someone asks him to pray, they give him a microphone, he steps behind the pulpit, he just turns into Billy Graham with too much caffeine, <laughs> right? What's the deal with that? It's the showiness of all of that. God says, no, don't do that. Back to verse five. He says, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and now on the streets. All right, so now we're in public to be seen by the people. Not many of us pray on the corner of 89A down here in Main Street. I get that. Um, but in the first century, please know that devout Jews, they prayed the Shema at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m., no matter where they were. So what Jesus is referring to here in this verse are those people who just happened. I mean, what a coincidence. Wow, I'm at the busiest intersection in town. The trumpet blows and the devout Jew is supposed to stop what he's doing, uh, face the temple, and he prays. Now, for a hypocrite who loves to pray and be seen, it's go time. That's a time to show your stuff to everybody. And Jesus says, don't do that. Here's why. Verse 5, truly I tell you, they have their reward. So what's their reward for praying like this? Well, it's the recognition, it's the applause from people. The language that Jesus uses here for rewards is dis it's decisive. In other words, men's praise, men's applause, that's all they're ever going to get. That's all they're capable of receiving. Now Jesus focuses from them to the disciples. He says in verse 6, but, but when you pray, when you as a disciple, when you as a child of God, when you pray, go into, the, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, it's hard not to notice here that we got a lot of privacy and we got a lot of secrecy going on in verse 6. In verse 5, Jesus taught us how not to pray. In verse 6, Jesus provides step-by-step -step instructions on how to pray correctly. Disciples are to enter a private space. They're, they're to shut the door. They are to pray to the Father who is in secret. So in other words, the only one who knows that you're praying is your father. Now, for you and me, this doesn't really seem that difficult. But in the first century, especially in Israel, people lived in tiny homes. Most homes had one room, maybe two. So that's going to be a little difficult to find a room to pray. 
Uh, the, the Greek word translated as private room there is, is tamion. Uh, tamion is an inner room. It has no windows in it. Nobody can see what you're doing on the inside. Jesus also uses this specific word in Luke's gospel. Uh, he's, he's warning the disciples of the religious hypocrisy from the Pharisees. He says in Luke 12, 1, he says, Be on your guard against the, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. There's nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark, that's going to be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the ear of a private room, Tamion, it's going to be proclaimed to the housetops. So the picture here that Jesus is, is painting is probably some type of storeroom or even a closet. And this is where we get the concept of praying in your prayer closet. Many times these, these were secret rooms. People stashed their possessions so people couldn't steal them. So in other words, when you pray, go to the most private place available, shut everything off, shut everything down so that you can concentrate. Do, do whatever you can to get your focus and your attention on God himself. So what do you do after you have found the space? Verse 6, Jesus tells us. He says, pray to your father who is in secret. He says, pray. Once again, prayer, it's a communion. It's a companionship. It's a fellowship with God. It's a relationship with Almighty God. That word father there suggests two things. Number one, that God's transcendent nature um, God is in heaven, and he's also with us. His presence is with us at the same time. And number two, Father um, suggests that God is personal. God is approachable. Now, some of us have a hard time recognizing God as our Father. And personally, I did for a long, long time. And I still struggle with this today. The reason that I struggle with it is because I had three dads growing up, but no father. No one fathered me. So if you can identify with that, if you struggle with knowing and experiencing God as your heavenly father, man, that is a great, that's such a great thing to talk about with the Lord. Take that to him as a concern and, and he will teach you. He will love on you. He will fix that. Jesus demonstrates here that finding a, a, a private place to pray uh, throughout the Gospels, we're going to look at a couple verses here, um, it really is an illustration. We, we don't have to, to take his words literally. I mean, we can go into a closet if we want to. But look at this. For you, for you early morning risers, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Mark writes this. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. He got away from the noise. And then I love this, verse 36 and 37. Simon and his companions, they searched for him. They couldn't find him. And when they found him, they said, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. In other words, what are you doing out here? Praying by yourself? I mean, we, we got no time for that. Man, we got to get the show on the road. We already have two tours sold out here in, in Galilee, Jesus. We, we got we to go, baby. We got to get down to Jerusalem. It's, it's just starting. 
And Jesus says, no, I got to get away from you guys. I got to spend private time with my father. Now, for you night owls, you'll be glad to hear Jesus prays at night as well. After Jesus fed the 5,000 Jews, he went to go pray by himself. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them, go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he dismissed the crowds, he went on up on top of the mountain. And look at this. He prayed by himself or by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. And if you know the story, he was there early, early in the morning. So let's pause here for a second. Has anything changed regarding the attitude that we have towards prayer? Do we have the same attitude that the apostles had? Our our humanness, our fleshiness, our, our sinfulness demands that we do something, even if it's busy work. We don't have time for prayer. I mean, what are we actually accomplishing doing nothing, sitting in the dark in a prayer closet? See, we tend to believe if we're busy, if we're doing something, anything, it's got to be productive, certainly more productive than prayer. And that's not necessarily the case many, many times. Guys, we have to be taught how to pray. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. And we must discipline our minds. We must discipline our physical bodies to do so because we don't want to. In fact, don't you think it's interesting that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray? I mean, why'd they do that? They did it because Jesus usually prayed in private. And we'll get to that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, next week. Back to verse 6. Jesus says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Isn't that comforting? That your father who sees you in secret, he's the only one who knows that you're praying, he's the one that's going to reward you. This means that everything you say, everything that you you pray remains secret. It It remains confidential, doesn't it? This is why God is also the best therapist. I mean, he's not going to take notes to make you nervous, and he's not going to charge you 100 bucks an hour. This is, he is the best therapist, right? And look what follows. He says, and your father will reward you. Now, we don't know exactly what that reward is here in verse 6, but we do know it's not temporary. It's not going to be like the man-made applause that the hypocrites receive. God has already given us his best reward. The best reward of of the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. And guys, it doesn't get any better than that. However, the Father, he chooses to reward us. He blesses us by experiencing his presence when we pray like this in private. And by the way, God's presence is not weird for his children. There are some people who make it weird, and that's unfortunate. It really is. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, His presence may be a supernatural peace that comes over you because you may have uncertainty in your lives. God is with you at that moment. It may be supernatural joy when you're depressed. 
God is with you in that moment. When we want to give up, it, it may be unexplainable sense of, of strength or perseverance or, or hope, and you can feel something change. Guys, the Lord is with you at that moment. Those are the rewards. We, we see them through, throughout Scripture. So key point number one so far this morning. Public prayers come out of our private prayers. Public prayers come out of our private prayers. When Jesus prayed in public many times, he, he prayed very short, reverent prayers dealing with the situation in front of him. Verse 7, this is why. He says, when you pray, don't babble. Don't babble. Don't stammer. Don't, don't, don't be talking with just thoughtless chatter. Don't use the, these countless, useless, purposeless words when you pray because you are in the throne room of Almighty God. Jesus says, remember who you're speaking to. Just take a breath. Gather your thoughts. Pray and say amen. You know, last week, the prophet Isaiah, the apostle John, they gave us such a vivid picture of God on his throne in the throne room. And I have found it really, really helpful to do my best by Picturing that scene in my mind as I pray. If we picture God as he has revealed himself to us in scripture, uh, then we're not going to badger him with our requests. We're going we're to think about what we're saying. It takes some time. It takes some discipline. Please note that repetition, though, is not the problem. Jesus says babbling is. Uh, repetition is not the problem because we see repetition in the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are great prayers. They're, they're the foundation of the Jewish prayer book. Many of those are repetitious. Jesus himself prayed a repetitious prayer in the, in the garden. The, the, the garden three times that that cup of death would be removed from him. Remember that? So the problem is not repetitiveness, but this meaningless babbling to where we're just talking and we're not thinking about what we're saying to a holy God. Jesus continues here in verse 7. He says, don't babble like the Gentiles. Gentiles in the first century, are, they're not Jews, therefore they don't know God. Gentiles prayed to many different gods, uh, lowercase g, and they thought that their gods first had to be prompted or awakened to listen to their prayers. Uh, the prophet Elijah has an excellent example of this on Mount Carmel. Let me set the scene, right? Got a big showdown between him, one guy, one prophet of, of Almighty God, and then you've got 450 pagan priests. 450! It was a contest. It was a showdown on whose God or gods is going to accept the sacrifice. That's what's going on here. So the pagan priests, they go first. So what they do? Scripture says they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon in 1 Kings chapter 18. So what they did is they, they prayed this, this mindless, repetitive chant. 
Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. They, they probably put it to music as a form of worship. They, they probably danced to it. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. They started to dance. They ranted and they raved like this from morning until noon. Now, can you imagine chanting that for four to five hours or longer? Hour after hour, they repeated the same exact phrase. And in doing so, they thought that the length of their prayer would make their, their God, their small g God, hear and then respond. So their prayers were pretty much like abracadabra, open sesame. <laughs> People who recite these mantras, they're, they're trying to achieve some kind of mystical power uh, in an effort to control other people. Today, we call this the New Age movement. Uh, New Age uh, folks believe that you can make things happen by simply applying your mind over the matter at hand. If I just think it, I can manifest it into existence. Now, as a sinful human being, we don't have that kind of supernatural power. And we got a lot of New Age stuff going on in our backyard, don't we? And, and just be careful, guys, because a lot of times that type of thinking, it creeps its way in to our theology and, and to the local churches. And that's a, that's a sermon for another day, too. But look what Jesus says here in verse 7. He says, they imagine that they're going to be heard for their many words. They imagine, they think, they suppose that God or their small g gods will hear them. So don't, don't miss what Jesus is saying. Just because what someone believes, what someone thinks, what someone supposes about God, it doesn't make it true. People who recite these types of prayers, they, they are living a lie. These, these folks are deeply and sadly deceived. Nobody's listening. Uh, faith is built on fact, right? We, we don't have to guess who God is or what he's like. He tells us in his word. We are to cling to his word, cling to these promises that he has ordained in his book. And the proof, the fact, right, uh, is that bloodstained cross once again. It is the empty grave. Brings us to key point number two. Thoughtless and heartless prayers, these are offensive to God. Thoughtless, heartless prayers are offensive to God. In most cases, they go together. So in verse 8, Jesus says, don't be like them. He says it again. Why? Because your father knows the things that you need before you even ask him. Your father knows. Man, how comforting is that? So back to our story with the prophet Elijah. <laughs> After hours upon hours of this endless chanting by these pagan priests, Elijah says this, and I love this. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27. So 12 o'clock noon, Elijah starts mocking them. One guy, 450 pagan priests. And he says this. He says, why don't you guys just cry aloud? You know, for he is a God. Either he's musing, right? He's meditating, 
Or maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. Who knew Elijah was a comic? They didn't think it was so funny, though, because in verse 28, they shouted more loudly. They cut him off, right? They start to talk over him. And then look at this. They cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom. They believed that this was going to do something spiritual, supernatural. Blood gushed all over them. It's like a horror movie. It's awful. It's disgusting. And here's the key, right? Their thinking was that their blood would draw themselves closer to their God. But the reality is that it's God's blood through Christ Jesus that draws his people to him. See the difference there? Verse 29, all afternoon they kept on raving until this offering of the evening sacrifice. So now it's evening time and they're still chanting this same thing. But there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid any attention. So Elijah finally calls the pagan priest to gather around because enough's enough. He tells the priest to go get some water and a lot of water. What we're going to do is we're going to drench this, this sacrifice. So in verse 36, at the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah, he approached the altar. Now listen to his prayer and compare that to what's been happening for the past five or six hours. He says this, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that at your word, I've done all of this. So notice the content here of Elijah's prayer. Number one, he acknowledges who God is. And number two, he acknowledges his personal obedience to God. Verse 37, he says this, answer me, Lord. Haven't we done that? Please answer me, Lord, please. Answer me so that, that these people over here will know that you, that you, the Lord, that you are God and that you've turned their hearts back. You guys catch that? Elijah goes all Billy Graham on these guys. He starts praying for their salvation. He's praying that these pagan priests will repent of their sin and, and worship Israel's God as the one true living God. Verse 38, then, then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering. And not just the offering, it consumed the wood and the stones and all the dust. And I love this. It licked up the water that was in the trench. The Lord God Almighty, he sends fire from heaven. He answers Elijah's simple prayer. It took like 30 seconds. Verse 39, when all the people saw it, uh-oh, they fell down. And they said, look at their confession. The Lord the Lord, Elijah's Lord, Elijah's God. He is God. The Lord, he is God. So the, the, the pagan priests, they certainly weren't expecting that. And I find this fascinating. In God's mercy, 
he consumed Elijah's sacrifice for sin. He, he didn't consume them. See, God the Father knew exactly what needed to be done at the exact time it needed to be done. We don't know how many pagan priests got saved that day. Now, let me ask you this. Was, was Elijah 100% sure that, that God was going to answer his prayer? Was he 100% sure? No doubt whatsoever did Elijah know how God was going to answer that prayer? James 5.17 says this, Elijah was a human being as we are. Guys, Elijah, he's got doubts. He's got fears. He, he, he's got reservations. He's got questions just like us. And yet, he was willing to step out in faith regardless of the embarrassment or the consequences. So cool. So cool. So I, I want to close today by giving you some, some options, some practical ways to, to pray. Um, once again, we have to be taught how to pray. Prayer is unnatural for, for all of us because of our humanness. It is helpful to have a structure in place, especially when you go to your private room. Uh, next Sunday, Jesus provides the greatest structure ever when it comes to prayer, and that's the Lord's Prayer. But for now, let me give you some things that, uh, that have helped me over the years, some of the things that I've been taught, some of the things that I've applied. Number one, that, that is to find your own personal prayer closet, to take Jesus' words seriously here. Um, and setting aside the time to pray. Uh, if we don't find a location, you know, if we don't put this on our calendar, it's going to be really tough to pray consistently, to pray honestly, to pray openly with our Heavenly Father. Number two, uh, bring a notebook. Bring a pen, bring a Bible. The notebook is for a couple different things. First, when, when something pops in your brain... Write it down. Get it off your brain and onto the paper. And this process, what it does, it starts your to-do list for the day, right? Uh, you get it off your brain so you can focus on God. Now, you can also use that notebook just by writing down other thoughts, things as, as you pray. Um, write down any questions that you have, comments at the moment. Um, if you, if you want to write in your Bible, Mark it up. Bring highlighters. Mark questions. Uh, get yourself a couple different pins. Um, it's not sacrilegious. Once you get things off your mind then, you're writing these things down, now you've got your Bible. Your Bible is there to fill up your mind because God is the one who renews it. Romans 12 too, right? So when you, when you hear God's voice or when you want to hear God's voice, Read his word. And if you want to hear God's voice audibly, read the Bible aloud. If you don't know where to start reading the Bible, uh, start with the Gospel of Matthew. The reason I say that is because you can take my notes and have them with you and just keep tracking along. Um, you've got some kind of starting place as you read. Um, 
It's not just about reading. It's not just about praying. It's about understanding. It's about comprehending. It's about applying what you're, you're reading, all these things into your life, because all of this is God's grace. There are, there are uh, many, many different reading plans available for Bibles as well. Be careful if you do something like that. It's not a race to read through the Bible in a year. Um, it's better to, to slow down and understand what you're reading. I like the idea of reading a short epistle, something like James or Jude or, or 1 John, and just read that over and over and over and over again for months until you get it into your bones and you, you know what it's about. Same thing with the Gospels. You could read, for example, the first, first chapter, if you're a fast reader, first three chapters. Read that over and over and over for months. Get it into your bones. There are no, short, there are no shortcuts. There's no fast-track programs to, to learning about God, and this is why. Our faith is not only about knowledge. It's about revelation. It's about the relationship. The Holy Spirit of, of Almighty God, He is our teacher, Devotionals. Devotionals are good tools, depending on the devotional itself. Be very, very careful who you're reading. Uh, most devotionals have one verse, and then you got a whole page of commentary. Be very, very careful, right? Uh, if you want a suggestion for a devotional, one of the, the classics is Oswald Chambers. My utmost for his highest. Highly recommend that. And then... Um, let me give you a, a prayer model. If you've got my notes, you'll, you'll see the, uh, the prayer guide there. But this is a, a prayer model that's been tried and true, and it's very, very simple. It's an acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. We, we want to first, it's the first thing we want to do. We, we want to revere God for who he is. This is a time of worship. C is for confession. This is where we confess our sins. We don't want anything between us and God. Confess our sins daily. T is for thanksgiving. We want to thank God for his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. We want to thank God for his provision. And the S there is for supplication. It's a time of praying for your needs. Notice how that one is last. And then lastly, I, I want to encourage you to pray throughout the day um, because we, we don't only pray in the morning, we don't only pray in the night, and then just forget about God the rest of the time, do we? Uh, a couple ideas for this. Number one, set your phone to remind you to pray at certain times throughout the day. Just set a, a real short alarm or an alarm, you quick click that off and, and, uh, and pray silently. Could be your favorite verse. It could be a verse that you just learned. Pray that back to God and ask him to reveal some amazing things to you throughout the rest of your day. But now, the great thing about prayer is that unless you want to pray like a hypocrite, right, where you're making a show, nobody knows that you're praying. I love these guys that try to outlaw prayer. Isn't that funny? How do they know when I'm praying or not? Um, worship music, number four. Did you know worship music is not only for Sunday mornings? You can turn on K-Love. You can, you can download these songs that we sing on your phone. 
Your, your phone really is an amazing device as a tool to, to do these things. And then also sermons. You, you can turn off the talk radio. You can turn off the news. And uh, also listen to some sermons via podcast. Uh, and as you listen to the, the music, once again, don't do this mindlessly. I mean, if you've got it in the background, that's fine. But if you're able to listen to the words, pray those words back. This is such a, a good day uh, for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So uh, I want to invite the band on up. I want to um, pray for the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So please bow with me in prayer. Father, you are, you are so good to us. We have no idea of the rewards that we have, the, the, the blessings that you give us. Every breath that we take is a gift from you. The, the health that you've given to us, no matter how bad or not our, our body may hurt, it's a gift. Every day is a gift. The clothes on our backs, the food in the fridge, they're all gifts. So Lord, I, I pray that you would meet us where we are today as we learn how to pray. Please continue to teach us. Please deepen this relationship uh, that we have with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.